I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Mindless Podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas, the Blahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How's everyone doing this week? All Pretty right. well. Pretty well. Doing well. All right. Um, so we'll start with Promote Extend Trade. And in like 1907, I think it was, the, the turn of the 20th century, Oral Stein, who was a British archaeologist, he obtained a copy of the Diamond Sutra, which is a Buddhist text, and the manuscript had a dedication on it, and it said that it was printed on the 15th of the fourth moon of the ninth year of Zantang, which basically works its way out to May 11th, 868, and that makes it the oldest known book that archaeologists have ever recovered. So this week, for uh, Promote Extend Trade, what we're going to do is all of the, you know, high school assignments that you have to do in English class, um, that big pool of books, you know, there isn't a national list or anything like that, but there's a bunch of classics, whatever you want to call it, that have developed over the years. We're going to promote Extend Trade them. So, um, you know, which ones did you hate? What did you love? What was just kind of okay? Um, if you guys want another 
minute or two to think about it. I can go first since I obviously prepared the question. Why don't you go first, Steve? All right. So I'm going to promote Flowers for Algernon. I like the story. Solid choice. It was, yeah, it was, it was a good book. Um, read it, enjoyed it. I think I read it one other time after high school. Um, I, most thing I liked about it was the technique that the, the author did adjusting how he wrote based on the mental state and intelligence of Charlie, the main character. It was kind of nice use of, uh, technique. I'm going to extend Catcher in the Rye. What? <laughs> I liked, you know, uh, I identified with Holden a lot, you know, how kind of lonely he was and how kind of he felt like he was an adult but didn't want to grow up and all that kind of internal conflict. And I'm going to trade the Great Gatsby. Uh, you know, the 20s, it's, the 20s is like an interesting time, but not from the point of view, you know, of rich white elites. And it's basically, to me, like, literary version of the Housewives of Orange County. You know, I, I didn't feel bad for anybody. They were all just kind of assholes. Rich snobs, so screw oh, all of them. The only reason I wasn't going to trade Catcher in the Rye is because I read the only book in existence worse than it. I cannot describe how much I hate Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> oh, God. Steve, Steve, I thought I knew you. <laughs> Well, we have this airtime, so please explain why you hate Catcher in the Rye. Because, uh, I mean, the same comments you make about G- Gatsby, I-, I feel that way about Holden. True, he was. Like a privileged was white like a boy. He's like, my parents don't love me. I'm at a prep school. When? <laughs> and, that, and that basically goes on for 300 pages. Uh, <laughs> All true. Um, the 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 book I want to trade in lieu of that is The Awakening by Kate uh, Chopin, or I don't know if it's Chopin, like the composer, or if it's actually Chopin because she's American. I have no idea. Point is, the book is awful. Every copy of it should be thrown in a dumpster, and that dumpster should be set on fire and then launched into the sun. Um, because holy crap, is that book terrible? It's literally about a, a housewife in in. New Orleans, who is like, hey, I'm sad today. Guess I'll walk into the ocean and die. <laughs> and that's basically the gist of it. It happens. Yeah, I mean, who, <laughs> relatable, hashtag relatable, right? <laughs> um, I was going to extend Night by uh, Ellie Wiesel, uh, mm-hmm. which is a uh, solid choice. Yeah, that's the... Um, the actual literary alternative to Diary of Anne Frank, I guess, which is also fine, but I just think Knight is is a more vivid representation because he was actually in the concentration camps. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll promote Beowulf because I actually enjoyed reading it, even though it's like strange to read, but I, I did enjoy going through it. It's entertaining. I also like Beowulf. I wrote my last honors English thing in high school on it. Nice. Yeah, it's like, like, obviously the, the act of reading, is that Old English or Middle English or whatever it is, can be a little, like, yeah, cumbersome. Yeah. But the story and the, the history inherent to the story is, is really cool. So, I almost wonder, I'm torn between trading two different books. Because I read both of them in high school, and 
I don't. I, I was also an English major in college, so I read a lot of like old weird books. But I think the two books that I disliked the most that I was assigned were Jane Eyre and yep. um, Life of Pi. You so, didn't you like Life, Life of Pi? Pi? <laughs> I hate that book. What? It ruins the entire thing in like two pages at the end. When he's just like, yeah, look, it's me and my tiger friend. And then they're like, well, are you sure it was a tiger or was it like a person? And they were like, oh, well, we we won't know. Like, that's basically the gist of how I remember <laughs> the end of that book. And I was like, what? I was like, I, I read this entire book for you to just change the entire thing. At the that's very the whole end. point. It's like that's, how he yeah. dealt with the tra- it's how he dealt with the trauma of the whole experience. He created, yeah. this, he created this whole narrative around it. But it was lame. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And Jane Eyre for obvious like yeah, no argument there. I, I speak into the winds to get my the love of my life back and he hears me from across whatever and I go and he finds me or whatever it was. Again, extremely relatable literature. <laughs> No, oh, yeah, it's it's a lot of that stuff is just <laughs> for it's too like Deus Ex Machina for me to really like. Love. Is there a single book written by? Because we love to celebrate the the Bronte sisters. Is is there a single book from the three of them that isn't just garbage? Um, I only read that in Withering Heights, so which is also bad. Yeah, uh, it's that one is I like it more than Jane Eyre. It's a very low bar to clear. <laughs> but there's a lot of problems with it. They, they, they have very similar taste in men. Uh, let's let's have a long discussion about Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> oh, there was one book that someone wrote from, like, it's kind of like a spinoff of Jane Eyre. I'm going to try to find it. Oh, no. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> it's actually pretty, it's like from the... It's Is called this, what? It, so, is it's the analogy White here Sea. like Fifty Shades of Grey is to Twilight as whatever this is is to Jane Eyre? Is that is that the the SAT analogy we're filling in here? Uh, no, I mean, like this was this is a it came out in 1966. It's called White Sargasso Sea, and you do you remember the Mad Woman in Jane Eyre that yes. she lives in the attic? It's yeah. from her point of view. So. Huh. It's basically that she got kidnapped from where she was from, and that's why she's crazy. And, like, it's basically written as, like, she's um, – it's explaining why she is the way she is kind of, and it was pretty interesting because we all – we read, like, spinoffs of these books. Like, I we read Grendel after we read Beowulf, and mm-hmm. so this was, like, a very common – like, a very easy one-two for Jane Eyre as well, and it was pretty interesting. You get like yellow wallpaper vibes from it, or is it less less? Uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. I don't know. That does sound uh, interesting though. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's 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 pretty intense because she was like, it, she was in from Jamaica and she had an arranged marriage to the un, to an unnamed Englishman who turns out to be a character in Jane Eyre, and then. Like it just tells the story from the part like part one it takes place while she's in Jamaica and then part two is like I think it's their honeymoon I can't remember specifically and then part three is like while she's Bertha in that in that in the mansion and so it's like you see kind of how she was not a mad woman in the attic and then how she became that through her circumstances. 
so yeah, that's pretty interesting. It was a pretty interesting take on that story. Mm. Um, for extending, I I like a lot of John Steinbeck books. Like I'm pretty basic in that regard. Um, I dig Steinbeck. I think I think Grapes of Wrath is my favorite, but Mice of Men is also up there, obviously. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna extend Grapes because I really like that book, and I feel like it's a little, like, everyone talks about Mice and Men more, and I feel like, even though Grapes is not exactly not an underrated thing or whatever. But I really like that book. Have you read East of Eden? Yes. We also read that. I read that in Honors English, and that was really, that was really good, too. I've never, I like I've that. Never, never gotten to it. It's been on my list for, like, at least half a decade now, and I've just never gotten around to it. If you like him, you'll like it. Like, okay. Ken, what do you got? Uh, I am going to trade on the road. Good choice. Good Um, choice. So the same things that you said about Holden Caulfield and uh, what was the other one? Gatsby. Gatsby, um, which I'm I'm going to extend. I love Gatsby. The prose (laughs) is just perfect. Um, As somebody who is obsessed with language, (laughs) that's – it doesn't get better than Fitzgerald, but neither here nor there. Uh, I've ne- like I, I could not imagine caring less about a group of people than the, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the that, that bit, characters in On the Road. It's that just like pretty the worst the worst people you know going on a trip, <laughs> doing terrible things. Hangover? Wait, no. <laughs> Euro trip? <laughs> but also not funny. <laughs> Ah. No Kim Jong appearance halfway through, you know? Um, I, I, also, in terms of prose, I hate the way Kerouac writes. <laughs> just all around, just a terrible piece of literature. <laughs> um, I am going to... I liked Our Town, uh, the play by... Um, blanking me. on his name. No, yeah, Solid Slice of Life. <laughs> You're kidding me. And I saw it... I saw it um, on stage years later uh, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and totally holds up. Thurton Wilder, that was the... I like plays, Lucas. And I didn't read so nearly enough... better plays to I didn't read it. nearly enough Shakespeare in, in high school. I read a lot in college, but... That's true. Um, yeah, and extend Gatsby, because... Uh, again, the prose is just perfect. The story lacks maybe a little bit, but... Just the way F. Scott Fitzgerald writes um, is, you know, kind of my ideal. So, wow, I think this was the most contentious promote extend trade that we've ever we had. Have some takes. Can I, can I throw <laughs> in one one extra honorary promotion that I realized I totally forgot that sure. I might have? Uh, so I honestly do not like almost any Hemingway whatsoever. But I really, really love Old Man in the Sea. Yes, yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, me too. Um, can I can I do a pair? Yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah, so uh, well on Hemingway, I I also agree that he's kind of overrated as a writer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> kind of the flip side to F. Scott Fitzgerald, which I don't really get. But um, uh, I would like to trade <laughs> The Crucible by Arthur Miller and yes! Stan's <laughs> Death of yes! a Salesman. Yes, I think I agree Death of a Salesman is an incredible play um, that I, I probably should reread because it's been quite a long time. And The Crucible is among the dumber things I've ever had to read. So <laughs> I think I've lost brain cells reading The Crucible. Uh, yeah. 
All right. Um, so very educational, very highbrow that was. <laughs> now we'll go to sports. And we'll do our CPBL KBO update. Uh, in Taiwan, the Uni Lions, they went 0-5 this week, so they're definitely the Mets. Oy vey. And they are 7-13 seven, yeah, seven and 13 on the year. And the hitter of the week was Shulin Kuo. Uh, he went 10 for 22 with a double, homer, triple, stolen base, and nine RBI. Carrying. And we, yeah, we uh, spoke about him a little bit last week. He was the guy at the Yankees uh, scouted and signed, and he had some couple of years in their system before getting released and going back to Taiwan. Uh, his best year was in 2018, but he took some major steps back in 2019. Uh, he basically, it was basically a Jimenez situation. He changed his swing and it just didn't really work out. Um, so far in like 20 games, he's hitting 397, 449, 810. So it looks like he figured, uh, stuff out. That'll play. Yeah. The pitcher of the week is Ryan Fierbend. Uh, he gave up a run over five innings, allowing two hits, two walks, and striking out six. Once upon a time, he was a prospect in Mariner system that didn't really uh, work out. He wasn't a top prospect, but he was a guy in like the 10 to 20 range for a couple of years in the early 2000s. Um, you know, bounced around a bit, didn't really carve out his own niche in the majors. So he went to Asia to prolong his career like a lot of guys do. And he also started throwing a knuckleball, which a lot of guys do when they're at that stage of their baseball lives. And he was pretty effective um, when he adopted it. He has a 3.67 ERA as a knuckleball pitcher, so that's that'll that'll play. And interestingly enough, do you know who the last knuckleball pitcher was in the CPBL? Huh? Oh, I have no idea. Who would it be? What would be a good Mickey Janis? <laughs> Almost. You have part of that correct. Mickey Calloway. <laughs> yes. Mickey Calloway. No way. I never knew he threw a knuckleball. Me yep. neither. I yep. wouldn't have fired him if I knew he threw a knuckleball. <laughs> pra- praise, praise be to Dickie. That's great. I, I didn't know Rob, Robin. That's funny. Yep. Um, over in Korea now, the LG Twins, they won their home opener. So, again, very much like. But then they dropped their next three. <laughs> So they I are strong Mets energy. How, mm-hmm. how are they losing these games, right? Are they getting blown out or are they like just close enough to the end and then they lose? Because that's the true Met way. They get, <laughs> the Mets are, are the, the Mets aren't heartbreaking because they're bad. The Mets are heartbreaking because they're just good enough that you start to believe and then they kick you right in the face again. It's like, oh, thanks. Well, their losses have been 5-2, 9-3. And okay. 13 5. So not so, great. Not great. No. Not great, Bob. They nope, did not. beat their, their hometown rivals. In yes, Ah, mm-hmm. uh, So they won the back pages. Excellent. Yeah, that, that's they, what matters. <laughs> <laughs> they like uh, kind of blew them out, too. Yep. Hitter of the week was Hunsu Kim. He went 6 4 17 with a double, a homer, and three RBI. And a lot of people probably recognize him from when he was playing at the Orioles and the Phillies in 2016 and 2017. And he was okay in the majors. Uh, but before that, he was like a star in Korea. Um, not quite like MVP level, but, you know, multiple time all-star level. Uh, he played for Doosan, 
And basically for a decade, he hit a cumulative 316, 404, 492. And that earned him the nickname, the hitting machine. So, I mean, when you're getting like Stan Musial comps back in your home country, that's, I think, pretty good. And he, since going he a, back, hmm? he had a big playoff home run, right? When he was on the Orioles. I don't him? know. The or Orioles got into the playoffs. It was, that, it was that Blue Jays series that I think he hit like a big home run in like a clutch spot. I'm gonna look at when they left Zach Britton in the bullpen in lieu of uh, Ubaldo and Oh, I remember that. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. When the Orioles had those couple random years where their Pythag record was like 73 wins, but they won 90 games two years in a row or something like that, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? These teams suck. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, yeah, uh, since going back to Korea, Kim has been uh, pretty good. He's still hitting 300 plus. Um, even though he's on the wrong side of 30, he still has you know all those bad on ball skills and a really good eye, so he'll probably... Uh, be a, a plus player for the last two years of his contract. And the pitcher of the week is left-hander Wu Chen Cha, who gave up six, excuse me, who gave up a single run over six innings, allowing three hits, walking two, and striking out seven. And Cha is not the best pitcher in the Korea, uh, uh, in the Korea, in the KBO, <laughs> but he is one of like the upper tier guys in the league. And as a result, uh, after basically a, a decade of pitching pretty well for the Samsung Lions, he signed the biggest contract that any pitcher in Korea ever signed with the Twins in 2016. A staggering, I don't know if MLB teams can even do this, a staggering four-year, $8 million contract. <laughs> um, yeah, he was really good in his first year with the Twins. He struggled in his second. He was so-so last year. So in theory, this year, you know, could go either way. Um, he's not really an overpowering guy. He sits high 80s, low 90s with a fastball, and he has a solid slider and a solid changeup. And that's probably why he didn't go to the MLB in 2016. Uh, MLB teams are scouting him when he's a free agent. They showed a little interest, but whatever the case, um, you know, he, he stayed in Korea, and that stuff is good enough. To play in Korea, but does he throw a knuckleball? He does not. Um, um, then, then uh, I don't. I don't know why you're telling us about this guy. That <laughs> I, I found that Kim home run I was talking about. It wasn't in the playoffs. It was at like the very end of September. But um, they were down two one in the ninth, and he hit a two run home run to like they eventually won the game because it was in Toronto, and like that got them within like one game of the wild card, and it was one of those things where they were like fighting towards the, down the stretch. I don't know why I remember that. There's a reason why I remember that. But <laughs> You just remember weird things sometimes. Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Uh, so last week we spoke a little bit about the CPBL, Chinese Professional Baseball League, and its history and the environment and all that stuff. And this week we're going to do the same thing with the KBO. If you hate the sound of my voice, I'm going to probably be droning on for a little bit here. So feel free to skip ahead. Well, basically, the common story that, you know, it'll be on Wikipedia and it's on um, the Society for Baseball Research Sabre website is that baseball in Korea was introduced by a gentleman by the name of Philip Gillette, who is a missionary from Illinois that worked with YMCA. And he was the first secretary general of the YMCA in Korea, in Seoul. And that he formed the first baseball team there in 1905. But much like Nelson Doubleday inventing baseball, I think that the story is uh, apocryphal. With the help of some Google Translate, I found an article from Naver Sports, which is a sports outlet in South Korea. And according to the article, uh, Incheon Baseball Centennial Completion Committee that found proof that baseball is actually already being played in Korea as far back as 1882 by some journals written by a student at the time. And the article didn't say anything more than that, so I was looking around and found a couple of possible explanations. So we have some original from Complex to Queen's uh, ethnographic fieldwork here. Yeah, one possibility is that it was introduced by Americans who came to Korea. Um, You know, much like Japan uh, during the the reign of Emperor Meiji, Korea was really modernizing itself at the time. So they were importing, um, you know, a lot of foreign professionals to help them with that. So one guy that could be the originator of Korean baseball is Lucius Foote, who was a minister from upstate New York, and he was the first U.S. ambassador to Korea. He was appointed in 1882, so the dates actually match. And he was from a town by Utica, so obviously he would know what baseball is. Uh, his replacement was a guy named George Clayton Folk. He was a naval officer that spent a lot of time traveling in Korea. Um, he could also be the guy that, you know, started baseball. Uh, he's from Lancaster. So, you know, East Coast baseball was known. And I was actually reading a letter that he wrote on Google Scholar, and he actually mentions baseball. So he obviously knows what it was. The weirdest thing that's happening here, Steve, is I'm getting some weird, like, synthesis. What's the word where you, like, your senses cross synthesis or whatever. These names sound so old that I'm like hearing you talk in sepia tone. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, one other guy that could be the originator of Korean baseball is Horace Newton Allen. There's a very old time name. Um, he had a good story. He was appointed a medical officer at the uh, Korean consulate, but he actually was secretly a minister. And the only reason why he was appointed medical officer was so that he wouldn't be arrested because preaching Christianity at the time was illegal. 
but uh, he graduated from Ohio Wesleyan University, and it's a really old school, and the the college did have baseball games against other colleges going as far back as like the late 1870s, so he definitely knew what baseball was. So those are three guys that definitely could have uh, introduced baseball. But I guess the the more probable explanation, though, is that it was just introduced through cultural diffusion from Japan. Because at the time, Japan was modernizing, taking a lot more interest in international affairs. And they saw bringing Korea into their sphere of influence as a priority so that they could assert themselves against the Qing dynasty. Um, In 1876, they basically did to Korea what Commodore Perry and the Americans did to them. And they, you know, forcibly opened Korea to trade. And, you know, baseball was starting to get popular in Japan at that point. So any Japanese activity in Korea could have, you know, uh, led to its transmission there. And there was plenty of Japanese activity. Lots of really interesting intrigue, cloak and dagger kind of politics, you know, rebellions, assassinations, riots, interesting stuff. But we'll fast forward a little bit now, and obviously, you know, in the the 40s, you know, Japan literally took over Korea, and lots of Japanese officials there, so it became a big part of Korean culture at the time. Um, Korea actually participated, cities in Korea, I should say, participated in the inner city baseball tournament, which is a big amateur baseball competition held in Japan. And since, you know, Korea was part of the empire, they got to participate. And Seoul won the competition in 1940 and 1942. Um, Obviously, the 40s, 50s, very tumultuous time in Korea. Rebuilding and then the Korean War and then rebuilding from that and the Vietnam War and everything. So basically, it took until the 80s before things were calm enough and economies were strong enough and everything else for there to be a professional league in Korea. And... Um, the KBO, the Korean Baseball League, excuse me, the Korea Baseball Champion, the organization, uh, it started in 1982. There were six inaugural teams. There were the High Tai Tigers, the Latte Giants, the NBC Chungyang, and I looked all over the place to see what that meant, and I could not get any actual translations. So they were just the Chungyang. The OB Bears, the Sammy Superstars, and the Samsung Lions. So it's kind of crazy how like uh, the 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 names are so much are so much more real world objects than are the names we're used to hearing. Yeah, yeah that is interesting. Like what the hell is a Met? <laughs> a Metropolitan. Yeah, exactly. What the hell is that? <laughs> By the time the 80, uh, excuse me, by the time the 90s came now, a bunch of teams moved, um, corporate sponsorships changed, and there were two more teams that were added. There were the Big Ray Eagles and the Sangbang Wall Raiders. Uh, the 90s were pretty calm, same thing, some names changed, corporate sponsorships changed, but, uh, most of the craziness now happens in the 2000s. Again, you have teams moving, corporate sponsorship changing, a pair of teams became defunct, three new teams were born, uh, the SK Wyverns, 
MC Dinos and the KT Wiz. And that brings us to the KBO of today, the 10-team league. They have 133 games in the season. The top four teams make the playoffs. The fourth-place team plays the third-place team in a best-of-three series. Then the winner of that plays the second-place team in a best-of-five. And then the winner of that plays the first-place team in the Korea series in a best-of-seven. I have to say, I actually like that kind of format. Uh, Yeah, it definitely gives an incentive to win. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure how that could be substituted in the U.S., but maybe this year, since they have, like, the weird coronavirus league, you know, without normal divisions or anything, they could do something like that. I'm I'm more disappointed that, like, the only – I don't know of any other team in a significant sports league that's named after, the dra- after a dragon like the Wyverns are, and they don't lean into it at all. They've got, like, some anime-y, kitty-looking dragon mascots, and that's about it. It is you can do weird. so much with that, and they do nothing with it. It disappoints me. Same thing with the Latte Giants. Their mascot is like just like some anime kid, and I mean, <sighs> giants are not as powerful as dragons necessarily, but you could still lean into that a bit more. And it's yeah. it's um, what do you call it? The, in um, Japan, the giants there they do the same thing. They don't really have like. Yeah, when I think Giants, I think, like, Titan from Final Fantasy IV, like, just muscled that rugged dude. Yeah. And they don't really <laughs> – it's not really what they're going for. There's also so much good mythology in, like, e- from Eastern cultures about dragons that they could lean into as well, and they just go with this, like, anthropomorphized person with a dragon head. It's like, God yeah. damn it. Yeah, but Actually, have you seen the dino's uh, mascot? The dino's yes. mascot. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Big Swole? Yeah, he's great. Big Swole. <laughs> he's like a just totally awesome. Jacked. Totally, it's great. For those who don't know, he's basically a cross between a brontosaurus and like the situation. So, <laughs> you know, use your imagination. What was that? What's what the was name that? of the episode? <laughs> a cross between a brontosaurus and the situation. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a character, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. The KBO and in Japan, the NPB, they definitely have us beat out in terms of uh, mascots. Fucking birds get this shit. A blue jay, a cardinal. Yeah, we got a dinosaur. <laughs> like we discussed, though, a couple of – was it a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago at this point? I don't really remember, but they are really big into their mascots. Weeks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, players in Korea, they get paid pretty decently. Um, in 2017, which is the last data point I could find, the average salary for domestic players was 239.8 million won, which comes out to about, uh, $210,000. So that's not bad for baseball. As is the case always, the ownership, you know, the owners are always making more than the players, but they're being paid well enough. Um, Deho Lee, who plays for the Latte Giants um, his entire career, except for a couple of years when he played in Japan and then came to the U.S., uh, played with the Mariners. He's the highest paid player in the league. He has been for a while. Um, he makes 2.5 billion won a season, which is about $2.3 million. Um 
One interesting thing about Korea is that they have a ceiling for how much a foreign player can make. Um, they put that in place a couple of years ago. It's capped at a million dollars. Um, foreign players have made more than that. Dustin Nippert, who is probably the best foreign pitcher to ever play in Korea, he made $2.1 million in 2017, which is after his MVP season in 2016. But after that, uh, they put a cap in. So uh, Tyler Wilson and Drew Wasinski are the only two guys that are making that million. Jamie Romack, he makes 900000 A couple of other guys are making 800000 and then it's it's all over the place after that. Um, our old friends Chris Flexen and Drew Gagneau, they are making six hundred and six hundred fifty thousand, respectively. So it's easy to see why a marginal player would wanna, you know, go to Korea. They get regular playing time. They get a salary that is basically about where it would be if they stayed in the U.S. as like quad A guys shuffling up and down. And they basically get a chance to prove that that you know. They, they get a, a chance to show that they could turn themselves around and become more than they were before they left, like Eric Thames uh, did a couple of years ago. Speaking of Thames, I think he's, without a doubt, one of the best foreign players to ever play in Korea. Um, he spent three years with the NC Dinos from 2014 to 2016. He hit a cumulative 349, 451, 721 in... yeah. <laughs> 390 as games. As you do. Mm-hmm. His best year was 2015 when he hit 381, 497, 790 with 47 homers and 40 stolen bases. How many games is that? Uh, for that year, it's not sure. Around 100. So he's hitting a homer every other day. Basically, Great. yeah. <laughs> and with a 497 on OBP, so he's literally getting on base every other time he was at the plate. Like, it's crazy. His nickname was literally like God. Yeah. <laughs> when you James is God. When you've reached that point that your nickname is God, I think you've made it. Uh, if he stayed in Korea longer, no doubt he would be the best foreign player ever, uh, hitter, I should say, to ever play there. Two other guys that you could make the case just because they played there a bit longer are Jay Davis, who is a former Mets prospect from the early mid-90s. And then Tyrone Woods, who's a former Expos pro- uh, prospect from about the same time. Uh, Davis, he played for the Hanwha Eagles from 1999 to 2006. And he has a cumulative 313, 383, 533 in 836 games with 167 homers. And Woods, he played for the Doosan Bears from 1998 to 2002. And he has a cumulative 294, 393, 574. Um, batting line, 614 games with 174 homers. So basically, if Thames had another year or two there, he would have just shattered their uh, their records. Yeah. On the pitching side, Dustin Nippert, who I mentioned before, he is best pitcher in best foreign pitcher in KBO history. Um, he was basically a marginal reliever with the Diamondbacks in Texas in the 2000s. And he went to Korea in 2011, and he basically went from being a little fish in the big pond to the big fish in the little pond. And from 2011 until his retirement in 2018, he had a cumulative 359 ERA in almost 1,300 innings for Doosan, and then one with the KT Wiz. 
and he won 102 games, which is the most for foreign pitchers. Um, has the most innings with foreign pitchers, and his ERA is fourth. And then other pitchers, um, there's journeyman Josh Lindblom. He spent five years over there, two different stints, and he varied from good to dominant. He's he posted, the reigning MVP, right? Mm-hmm. He posted did, a 355. Yeah, with the Brewers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they interviewed him on the uh, the broadcast. The other right, 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 right. <laughs> he has a cumulative 355 ERA in 823 innings there. Another guy is uh, Danny Rios, who's a Yankees minor leaguer from the 90s. He was in Korea for six years. He had a couple of good seasons. He has a cumulative 291 ERA in about a thousand innings. Um, and the other kind of notable foreign pitcher is Henry Sosa. He pitched eight years in Korea, and his numbers as a whole are, you know, just kind of okay. But he ranks up there because he accumulated a lot of stats. Yeah. So that is basically the KBO in in a nutshell, and I've been having fun, I guess, with fun with a question mark, <laughs> staying up until one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, just to uh, watch. You know, I used to hate Las Vegas because who <laughs> in their right who in their right minds would want to stay up until one o'clock when Drew Gagne was pitching, and now I find myself like being excited, like, oh, nice. Drew Gagnon's pitching. I know him. So. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Old it's friend. Though, right? Like, because this is basically the equivalent of, I think the, the KBO they basically say is like a double A, uh, essentially, maybe on the low end of double A. Yeah. In terms yeah. of quality of competition. And, and they get paid better. So I'm surprised some of these older journeyman guys don't go over there, make more money for a couple years, and hope that some team says, hey, as a 2.8 ERA in Korea, maybe we'll give him a couple million bucks to come back. You're like, you'll get more reps, you'll get paid more, get to play more. Definitely, definitely was more of a stigma against that in the past. I think, yeah, that's like, true. like we were, like when I was talking to Dan a few weeks ago, oh, that's happening a lot, a lot more lately nowadays last couple of years so you know it, it could be a thing there definitely though is it, it's definitely a lot more complicated than just being like hey i'm gonna go over to korea and play and then yeah. whatever happens happens i don't what the what was the movie mr 3000 mr baseball was that mr it? baseball yeah 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 with um magnum pi Tom Selleck. Yeah, there yeah. we go. I have no idea what you people are talking about. I've never seen it. I've just seen it. Was it basically, like... it was like a, a movie um, in the 90s, I guess, 80s. Sure. I don't Whenever it was. Basically, you know, this old player who was just shy of reaching 3,000 hits for his career, and he retired, um, and he was given the opportunity to reach that plateau by going to Japan to play and cultural hijinks ensued, you know? <laughs> great, great. Yeah, but you know, that that definitely I would I, I would say causes a lot of hesitancy for some people. I I wouldn't be surprised if now because there's more evidence of teams being willing to sign people from overseas leagues that it happens more just because like 
ever since Thames happened, like teams are kind of like, oh, this is probably a thing we should have been doing this whole time. I mean, this works. It's not like Thames yes. was a superstar or anything, but he was paying, being paid five million dollars a year to just mash righties. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a good player for the for the Brewers, like, and they got him for like you said for not much. Mm-hmm. Three years, fifteen million is I think what they signed him for, and they got come on, Fangraphs load. Yeah, one twenty-five weighted the first year, one hundred five the next. I think he was hurt some of the time, and then one seventeen the last. They got uh, five wins of value. That's that's a steal. Exactly. Yep. And I wouldn't be surprised if now more teams are just going to be like trying to fill holes in that way by looking overseas. Yeah, it's mutually beneficial for everybody. It's good for the player. It's good for the team in in Japan or Korea or Taiwan, and it's good for the major league team too. Everyone wins. Yeah. Hopefully, we can see our friend, our old friend Clarice Flexen, uh, do well and come back. Be nice. I am a little salty that his first start. Um, wasn't televised by ESPN. East Coast bias. Just going to say. <laughs> It'd be nice if I was still in California. Uh, no, no, I'm glad to be not in California anymore. Well, the time zone... No, I feel like the time zone difference would be worse. No. Yeah, three hours would help. I'd be a little closer yeah. to Korea. I mean, it's, it's terrible regardless, but... yeah. The funny thing is I've also, like, uh, so, going to go nerd here for a second. The the Overwatch League has been forced away from, like, lo- to LAN games to, to totally uh, internet-based games, and half the teams are back in Korea, so I'm already staying up to, like, 2 or 3 in the morning to watch professional Overwatch. Just, they're on some baseball on the other monitor at the same time. I didn't realize that it was on that late, no. Yeah, so their games, their games on like right now for the U.S. teams, and their teams in Korea still. So those games come yeah, on. That makes like, sense. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I think that is uh, Korea baseball in Korea in a nutshell. It's fun. I I enjoy the KBO. More knuckleballers. Yes, definitely more knuckleballers. Um, there are. None in Korea that I know of. Just Ryan Fairbed in uh, Taiwan. I'm not really sure. I guess that I, I didn't really think about this kind of point, but um, a, a style, not style, but you see breaking pitches a lot more prevalent. They're a lot more prevalent in Korean baseball than they are, I guess, in baseball here in the U.S. I guess because... Just very few players have that kind of blazing fastball, so guys lean into their R-speed stuff a bit more. So I wonder how knuckleball would be either more or less effective. I mean, I guess it's just such, uh, uh, everything about it is just such a variable that who knows, but yeah. one thing uh, that, who were they interviewing last night when I was watching? I know they were interviewing Trevor Bauer. For reasons unknown, because I don't really think he knows much about baseball in Korea, but he's heard of Korea once, probably. Probably. Uh, whoever was it they were interviewing a player, but they said that in Korea, uh, players put a lot more 
practice and there's a lot more emphasis put on, you know, not striking out and making contact. And a lot of players have a kind of very, very keen ability to do that. So, again, I wonder how that would impact the, the knuckleball. Yeah, I guess if you shorten up and just kind of hack okay. at it. Yeah. yeah. Even that's hard with a knuckleball, though, because it just does random shit half Right. It, it's just such, like, literally everything about it is just uh, random that you can't think of anything. It's always funny to watch those scenarios. really good knuckleball, knuckleballs, because even the good knuckleballers, it's inconsistent, but when they get a really good one, it, it just kind of like, it's it's almost like it's hovering over the plate, wheeling back and forth, saying, nah, 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 you can't hit yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Just on so, a rope, on a pendulum. Yeah, it's it's frightening. I um I played with a kid who threw a knuckleball, and I was a catcher, so I would catch him sometimes. How'd that go? It was I was I I always caught him every time he pitched because I was the better catcher who could like I I was able to catch it better. But uh-huh. man, there were a few times where I'm just like like moving my glove with the ball, like I don't know where this is going, and I wouldn't even <laughs> set a target. Like I would just put a target right down the middle when I would call it, Throw and it. I'd be like. Wherever you want it, wherever it ends up, I'm going to try to get in front of it. So what you're saying is you were Josh Tolley. Yeah, basically. I couldn't hit either, so that's a good Yeah, you Josh <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I remember once he threw it, and another coach was like, that pitch is illegal. And the, and the home plate umpire was like, what? And he was like, you can't throw a knuckleball. And he was like, yes, you can. Because the kid was so like he just got caught looking at them. It was right down the middle, and he didn't expect it. And then he and the coach was just like trying to like grasp at straws as if was the coach's like, dad. I don't know actually because I, I didn't. That was like the first time we ever played them. It could have been to be honest with you, but <laughs> it was so funny. Like catching a knuckleball was so funny. I would set up a little differently. Like it was a whole thing, and he threw hard too. Like he had a good fastball, so. It was fun to actually play off that. So yeah, yeah we more... talked about this before. We wish like more at normal pitchers would try to throw a knuckleball occasionally. Like I know it's super hard, but it'd be cool if there was someone to experiment with it more. Could you comments? Yeah, ninety five, and then break out a knuckleball. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, the, the <laughs> only guy I know who really did that had like a full arsenal and a knuckleball with any degree of success was Brandon Webb, and he would like before before. What a weird career he had. I mean, he was he was just like <laughs> incredible for a couple seasons, and then blew out his shoulder. Was never the same, which which sucked. But he would sometimes just he had like a seven pitch arsenal, and sometimes he'd just throw a knuckleball. And be like, okay, that that happens. He was mm. the sinker ball, right? Yeah, yeah, he, a ton yeah, of yeah, he yeah super most, heavy sinker. One of the most dominant games I've ever seen anyone pitch against the Nets is just like sawing everyone off. No hard contact. It's just we can't hit this shit. So yeah, it's one of those times where when you're playing and you're just like can't do anything about like got to get to a bullpen because yep. <laughs> this game's uh, over otherwise. Screwed. <laughs> Who was it? I'm quickly trying to look up in my. I think I think the, while, while Steve does that, I think the counter argument mm-hmm. is that you kind of had to like totally alter your motion to throw a knuckleball, kind of. It, I'm not an expert on throwing a knuckleball. Obviously. No, yeah, it helps. Um, you know, in, in high school, I, I was really terrible at baseball, but played on the team for reasons unknown. And <laughs> basically, all I did was throw the knuckleball, like just messing around. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And it helps a lot if you alter the way you're throwing to get it on like an upward trajectory a little bit as you're releasing it. Kills it's almost, like, you know, all of the spin. Honestly, it almost looked like Dicky would like shot put it up there, kind of. Like, is I don't I don't even know how to describe it. It just didn't look normal. So I bet that's a big barrier to throwing it as part of a normal arsenal. But come on, there's smart. There are a lot of smart pitchers out there. I'm sure they could figure it out. Also, like, if you have to change your motion a little bit for that one pitch, then, like... Yeah, it's, it's obvious. Still, it's yeah. Still, but it's still a knuckleball. Like, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if I'm setting up for the Brandon Webb sinker, and then he changes his motion, I'm like, oh, knuckleball! <laughs> and then it's like... Shit. Exactly. You still like, can't oh, do anything. Knuckleball. <laughs> you it's like start, like, Ephes. choking up on the bat. Yeah. It's like an Ephus, but better, because it actually does something aside from being a lob. I've never understood how an Ephus could possibly work. But. Yeah, it doesn't. That's that's. <laughs> but, it does. That's... You have like there are like, videos of people just swinging wildly at it. It's like what? It, it's so just funny. It. Anyway, uh, good way to tie it though back to the, when when you started talking about uh, Brandon Webb, and I was thinking about another really good pitcher from that period of time, and, and it all ties together very well here because um, in one of the games that the Uni Lions in Taiwan lost was the game that Ryan Fierben, the knuckleballer, was pitching. And the one run that he gave up was a solo shot um, off the bat of Chi Xian Chang. And Chang was, at one point in time, in the Seattle Mariner system. And he was involved in a big three-team trade that Eric Bedard was involved in. Oh! oh. <laughs> well, Adam in... Jones in that trade, too, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's another... He's another really good pitcher from that era that, you know, injuries kind of screwed over. That kind of gets forgotten. I haven't thought about him in forever. Yep. And then thinking about that made me think of Ben Sheets, another guy. Oh, that's another good one. (laughs) He was also on the Brewers. The Brewers are, like, way ahead of this Korea connection, man. Yep. But, yeah, good good times, all those guys. I honestly – yeah, I think he retired in 15 or something. Like, he just kind of, yeah, he just kind of kept trying to come back and come back. I think that, for me, was, like, my, I don't know the right word, most most fun time that I had following baseball was, like, the m- mid to late 2000s. Huh. Just, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of, like, memories of just random-ass guys for whatever reason. And the Mets just collapsing every yeah, day. Yeah, I try not to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, on on that note, <laughs> if anyone has any questions or comments, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Cyper. Lucas is at, at Elvahost343. Ken is at, at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at Sad Met Season SDN. Subscribe to our podcast, please, wherever you get your podcasts from. And of course, rate and review them favorably. And thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with a, a special episode. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets. <laughs> <laughs>